of notes. And uh, so I just want you to understand that I, I try to put everything down on, on that one page. So as, as we, I say, let's uh, get our notes out. And think about this, notes in school. Uh, y'all want a joke? Yeah. My daughter Michelle said no. Can everybody on, on Facebook boo her? No. <laughs> but I was thinking about notes in school, and I was thinking about Miss Marie. She was a school teacher, a, a, a seventh grade school teacher, and she had Boudreaux and Thibodeau in her class. And she knew Boudreaux and Thibodeau were cheating on every test they would take. But the principal liked Boudreaux and Thibodeau because they were good football players. And he wanted to make sure they had good grades and would be able to be on the football team. So he always stuck up for Boudreaux and Thibodeau and tried to make it look like they're not cheating. Well, finally, uh, Miss Marie figured out uh, how to get them. So she, she gave the test, and then while well, she's grading, she said, Aha! I got y'all. Let's go to the principal, Mr. Gitros, right now. She says, y'all were cheating. And boy, she goes in there, and Mr. Gitro sees her, and he knows what she's after, that she wants them punished and taken off the football team. And he says, what's the matter, Miss Marie? He says, I finally, she says, I finally caught Boudreaux and Thibodeau cheating. She says, every time I have uh, multiple choice questions, they always have the same exact answers. Whichever ones they have right, they both have them right. Whichever one they have wrong, both have them wrong. And Mr. Gitro says, oh, well, that, that, is just, that could just happen. It can happen that way. Maybe they think the same way and those things. Like that. She says, yeah, but I got a foolproof way on this test. She says, on question number 12, I did not put multiple choice. You had to write an answer out. And he says, well, how you know they're cheating? He says, well, look on Boudreaux's paper. Look his answer for number 12. And he, Mr. Gitros looks and he says, reads, I'm sorry, I do not know the answer to this question. And Mr. Gitros says, well, that, that's, he doesn't know. That's a perfectly logical answer to put. And she says, yeah, but read Thibodeau's answer for number 12. And the, Mr. Gitros says, me either. <laughs> <laughs> so they got him. <laughs> Amen. So let's just get ready to get started with uh, conversations uh, with God. And the title of this conversations with God, I like the title of that, the way it sounds, a conversation more than just prayer. Because sometimes when you start talking about praying and prayer, people clam up and, oh, well, I don't know how to uh, pray. I'm scared about praying things. But we all know how to have conversations. We have conversations constantly, all the time. And God's it's always been God's will to be in communication and fellowship with man. It's always been. And God wants us to stay in communication and have conversations with him each and every day. And you should never go a day without praying to God. And we're going to talk about <coughs> different things here this morning in that order. But if you look at your notes, I, I will get started with the very, back in Genesis. I love the way it says this. It says that, again, just, just laying our format of how God always wants to be in communication with man. This was right after Adam and Eve sinned. It says in Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9, it says, The man and his wife, that's Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the cool of the day. Now think about this. This is God that 
somehow, again, it, it, we can't quite understand, but in the Garden of Eden, in the cool of the day, it says God came down and walked in the garden. And what he came down for was to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. Now, it says he came in the cool of the day. So I don't know if global warming started back there. I'm sure Eve was with the blow dry and the hairspray, you know, everything. So he came in the cool of the day. That's just a joke there. And he says, uh, but notice what happens. It says they hid from God. Now, they had just sinned. So they hid from God. Why would they be hiding from him? Because they knew he would be looking for them. You see, this, this means, it, it tells us that this wasn't the first time God showed up. They knew that he came in the cool of the day, uh, which we say down here in Cajun French, to make the veillee. You know, have a cup of coffee, spend time with them, communicate with them, fellowship with them. And this has always been God's intention, and he always wants this. But it says that they hid from the Lord uh, among the trees of the garden. Now, first of all, in a lost state of mind, we kind of not thinking right. You think you're going to be able to hide from God who knows all and can see all? You think he, he won't know you're behind that tree? See, God knows all, and that's part of a fallen state is we, we, we begin to diminish who God is. We begin to think we could get away with something. We begin to think that God will not know this area in our life, but, but he does. And it says this, that uh, they hid from the Lord among the trees. And verse 9 says, I love this, but the Lord called. Guess who's starting? He wants to have a conversation so bad with you that he was the one that called first because they would have never said nothing. And it says that the Lord called out to the man, where are you? Where, again, God knew where he was, but he wanted the man to answer. And I think the church, the body of Christ, not Christian fellowship, the whole body of Christ around the world, sometimes I think God is calling out, where are you? Where are you? That we go around with our daily routines, doing all the things we normally do, leaving Him out. We'll go days or weeks without... We'll call on Him when we have a crisis. But that, it's like God's just a, a red phone on the wall, emergency hotline. When I need you, I'll call you. And that's why I believe God, and that's part of what's going on in the world today, I believe, is that Christians have not been praying the way we ought to, how often we should. And, and again, our Wednesday nights had become prayer revival, the revival of prayer, not prayer for a revival, but the revival of prayer. Jesus says, my father's house will be a house of prayer that we are praying because prayer is communication or conversation with God. <coughs> Excuse me. So look at, let's look at Ephesians six eighteen, which it ties into verses 10 and 12, which we'll go through in a second. But this is what we need to understand as believers. That it says this, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Think about this. That he's saying pray and always keep praying. So again, prayer is your greatest weapon. It brings communication, fellowship with God. 
Let me put it this way. God will not, for some reason, he says, I'm going to give human beings free will. And I will not cross over their free will. Even if it means it's against his will. It was his will for Adam and Eve not to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But he allowed their will. He did not stop and jump in and stop them from it. How many of you know that it is God's will that everyone be saved? And that, that's, the, that's the most important and dearest thing to his heart. That no one should uh, spend eternity in hell separated by him. Separated from him. But how many of you know that we have to say a prayer and invite Christ? God paid, God sent his son to die on the cross for us. Everything's paid for, but God says, I can't force it on you. You have to receive the gift of salvation. In other words, prayer surrenders myself. And I don't know if this is saying it right, but it gives God the authority to act in my life. That I'm saying, God, no longer, remember Jesus prayed, not my will, but thy will. That's what prayer does. Prayer is telling God, 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 I allow you to move in my life over my will. I give you permission. And this puts, you could say it like this, it, it allows God to go to work in your life. Because he will not go over your will. God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes... You see, you have to believe. We have to do our part. We have to receive. So it says this. <coughs> Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. And let's stop there and request. Pray on all occasions. The other versions talk about, it talks about continual prayer. Continual, con- that we should always be in conversation with God. And then it, it even goes on to say with all kinds of prayers. And that got me thinking, what, we, all kinds of prayers. So there's more than one kind of prayer. There's more than one kind of conversation to have with God. How many of you know that every conversation you have with everybody else is not the same conversation? It's a different conversation. So prayers can be different. And that's what it says, pray on all occasions. And <clears throat> well, I was thinking about that and praying on all occasions to kind of help us is that Throughout our day, we should constantly be in prayer. Not just, this, this does not alleviate your quiet time that you're supposed to be having in life. Okay, you should have a time in the day that you say, this is set aside, this is God's time. I'm going to spend time with the Lord here. Our conversation, I'm going to speak to him, but I'm also going to wait and have him speak to me. See, a lot of times, our conversations, our communications with God is one way. We just tell him, but we never listen for him to speak. And how many of you know when two people are talking to each other and both are talking at the same time, you, can't, you don't understand. So we need to allow God to speak to us. But what I started doing when I was thinking about this is praying on all occasions is, uh, have you, you heard that trigger moments in your life, things that could trigger stuff. Now, I want to give you some triggers for your life. Uh, now, I'm not talking about uh, Roy Rogers and you're getting a horse trigger, okay? Triggers in your life. Times to help us remember. Every time you open your car door, 
Let that be a trigger. I'm opening my car door. A tr- this triggers me to say a short prayer. Okay? Could be simple. Lord, I ask you protection as I get on the highway, this thing. When I get to the place I'm going, you could open the door. Here's a trigger. Lord, before I enter this place, I lift up every person in this place. If, if there's anyone that don't know you, Father, I pray that there we come to the salvation knowledge of God. Simple little prayers, simple things, but triggers throughout the day that keep us continual praying. And again, I want you to understand, your prayer life needs to go beyond an, uh, a I need or I want mentality. It's got to be bigger than you. It's got to be bigger than about your world, your life, the me, the me, the me. See, we have to begin to pray Thy will be done, as Jesus said. See, we pray, a lot of times we pray about things that are just in this world and our focus on just this world. But God isn't focused just on this world. He cares about things going on in this world. But it, God's will is always eternal. Can I tell you what? I don't think God cares if the saints win or lose this afternoon. But that's going to be a lot of people's prayer today. That, that's how they're going to approach God today. God, please let the saints win. And who are they playing? Uh, the Buccaneers. Yeah, all of Florida's right now, oh, please, God, let the Buccaneers win. The, pr- people praying opposite prayers. And God saying, what eternal value does it have of whoever? Why are you focused on a game when you should be praying for a lost soul? You see, what we should be praying for and what we pray for is, is uh, backwards sometimes. So he says, pray on all occasions. Again, yesterday when, I went, when I, I'm sitting in my office and the mailman passed, and as I walked out, and this is going to be a new trigger for me, every time I'm walking to my mailbox, I'm going to say a prayer. And what I did yesterday, I said, Lord, I, I pray for my mailman. I don't know what, what in the world is going on in their life. If they don't know you, I pray that they come to the salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray that you meet every need in their life. And then I grabbed my mail and went back inside. This is a new trigger I'm trying to set up for me, to pray every day. While I was driving here coming yesterday to work, sitting at the red light there, the first car that came off the bridge, here's a new trigger. Lord, I lift up that person in that vehicle. I have no idea who they are. First of all, I pray for their salvation and their family if they're not saved. Second of all, I pray that you meet every need in their life. If they're sick, I pray for healing for them. Boom. That begins God working and moving in every situation. That's why it's us to pray on all occasions. So we all need to get some Roy Rogers horses, some triggers in our life that kind of help us remember that. So when you get ready to get in your car today, when you leave, when you open that door, trigger a prayer. Again, you don't have to pray for 14 hours without stopping. A simple prayer throughout the day, but a continual. Again, I said don't let it take the place of your quiet time. But can I let you know, I believe the church's quiet time has gotten too quiet. Let that sink in. I think the body of believers' quiet time has gotten too quiet where it's not being done. 
So again, verse 18, it says, and pray because it's your greatest weapon. Uh, um, again, it, it's, it's taking the situation out of your hands and your control and your power and placing it into God's hands and, and having the authority of God move in that situation. God can do a lot more than you can. It doesn't mean we don't do our part. But, but it, it allows God to move. We're, we're, we're laying down our will before him and saying, God, come, come into my life and move in that situation. Finally, uh, uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 says, Finally, be strong how? How are we to be strong? In the Lord. Thank you, Sister Hazel. You're the only one paying attention. Let's try that again. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong, how? In the Lord and in whose power? His mighty power. How do we be strong? How are we strong in the Lord and in His mighty power? That is through prayer. Then he goes on to say this. Verse 11, it begins to tell us to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And he tells you here, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay? Flesh and blood are fruits of things in our life, but it's not the root problems. See, people, you know why people are, are going crazy in this world and we say, oh, how can they do that? Because they don't know Jesus Christ. The fruit of not knowing Jesus Christ is why they believe the way they believe. See, we have to get to the root of the problem. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces in, in, of evil in heavenly realms. So if that is the root of our issues, guess how you're going to battle it? Only through prayer. Anything else you're doing, you're not, you, you may be trying to mess with the fruit that it produces in life, but you have to understand that you have to get the root of the problem. And the only way to battle that is through prayer. Is, is this making sense? We're coming up more than partly cloudy right now? We're trying to brainstorm. <laughs> So now look, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Everybody loves quoting this scripture. Most, most Christians know this scripture. And I'm just going to read it fast and then we're going to come back and really look at it. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And the, everybody just focuses on the last part, which is what we desire. But the problem is the very first word in that verse. If. Because if you don't, the results you're looking for will not happen. You could desire them all you want. You could talk about them all you want. But it will not happen. If I had a big box of Mr. Ronnie's donuts, I'd give them to you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I better rethink that one. 
But why will I not, why can't I give them to you? Because I don't have it. See, so if we don't do what he says to do, we will never see the result we want to see. So if I never have a box of donuts, I can never give it to you. If my people, so let's look what God requires of us. If my people, again, knowing that he, he wants to stay in constant communication with us, having conversations with us, if my people who are called by my name, number one, he says, will what? Humble themselves. Now, I want you to, you to think about this. To humble yourself, and every time I read the word humble now, I always go back to my message uh, about Christmas where wise men still seek him. And it was, those of you that hadn't listened to it, I need you to go back and listen to that. Because it, it is the first interaction with Jesus besides his mother and father that we know of with other human beings that's recorded in the Bible. And I think God is a God of order and he's showing us this. That once you encounter Jesus, the first thing the wise men did was they humbled themselves and kneeled before him. A child. And these were intelligent men, very... Uh, up on the uh, chain of command in life, and they humbled themselves before him. What's the first thing it says here? We are to humble ourselves. Then we've seen, what did they do after they humbled themselves? They worshiped and praised the child Jesus. Before he'd done anything in their life, before he'd done any miracle, they worshiped him for who he was, not what he could do. And then the third thing, it said that they gave him gifts of their own, and that, that represents a spirit of generosity, of giving of ourselves to God. So you humble yourself, you worship him, and you give of yourself to him. So thinking with that in mind, keeping that in mind, notice what it says. First, you need to humble yourselves before you pray. God is a God of order. Okay, he didn't just put these things down here and say, do it in whatever order you want. You see, he needs you to humble yourself before you pray, because if you're not humble, your prayers will be all about yourself and for you. You catch that? If you are not humble, your prayer life will be nothing about anything else, but it'll be all about you. And we're going to see in Scripture and, and how many times it says that we are to pray for everyone else, interceding for others. So we understand that uh, first I've got to humble myself and then pray, conversations with God. And again, not self-seeking prayers, but prayers for eternal value, okay? It's not a prayer that, oh, every time you're going to open your car door, uh, it don't need to be this prayer. I pull into Ross's parking lot and I open the door, oh God, please let me find the salt and meat on seal. And you close the door. <laughs> It's okay, to pray. it's okay to pray for favor and different things, but if that's all you're praying for, is that a really, it's all about me. It's all about my purpose. It's all about what I want. And God's saying, no, we need to learn to begin to pray in the Spirit because there's a warfare going on in the heavens for the souls of people's lives, and I need to begin to pray prayers that have eternal results, not just I could have a cheaper pack of salt meat. So we humble ourselves, pray, and then it says to seek his face. Again, relationship with him. The very first uh, scripture we used, what happened with Adam and Eve? They hiding from him. 
but we need to seek him. It says, and then it says, and turn from their wicked ways. In other words, we need to repent. Okay? And he says, if you do all these things, then you will reap the results of what you've done. But your land will not be healed unless you do these things. And that's what he's saying. It's up to you. And how are you going to do it? If you want me to heal your land, you need to pray to me. Anybody ever heard Jesus say this? You have not because you ask not. Think about that. You have not because you ask not. God may want to bless you with this, but you have to allow him to. God wants salvation for everybody, but they have to ask for it. He provided it through the cross. But you have to ask. See, sometimes we're not having, uh, you know, and, and our, our nation's in chaos right now, but I believe that the church isn't really praying like it's supposed to be. We all want the land healed, but are we really praying like we should? Or are we praying for salt and meat? Can I t- go this far? Talking about what's going on in this nation is not praying about what's going on in this nation. See, me and Abel could talk for hours about what's going on in this nation. That's not a prayer to God. That's not asking God to move in this situation. See, two hours of me and him in that conversation doesn't replace the power that God could do in one 10-second prayer for our nation. And too many times we get caught up in talking about it instead of praying about it. Two totally different things. Look, Zechariah 4, 6 says this. And we're dealing with prayer. It is not by might or power. And those two words, might and power, are talking about in human strength. Human armies, human power and strength and might. And he says, why doesn't that work? Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. He says... But by my spirit, says the Lord. See, it's not by man's mighty hand or what man can do and all these things. Because the war is not here. The war is in the heavens. It's by God's spirit that things change. (coughs) Okay, we're going to try and burn out through this. As we get into the book of Exodus, what I want you to know Again, back is fellowship with God, that God desires your fellowship. God desires your communication with him back and forth. And God has always desired that. And what we're finding ourselves is when the Israelites were leading, leaving Egypt, Moses is leading them through the wilderness, which was supposed to take two weeks, but they end up spending 40 years going in a circle because they didn't trust God. And then they were going to make it to the promised land. Now in the promised land, they were supposed to build a temple to worship God. But God sees them going in this desert round and round. And he says, I I have to have something to 
fellowship with these people. I'm not abandoning them. I am with them, and their sins need to be forgiven. And God sets up what is called the tabernacle. And we're going to read this here now. Exodus chapter 25, 8 and 9. And the reason we're talking about this is I want to show you through the tabernacle. This is not an in-depth study of it, but steps that we could pray for. When it says to pray in all kinds of prayers, this gives us an example, a pattern of what we could pray for and how to pray in different uh, times. So it says, then, uh, then have them make a sanctuary for me. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. Have them make a sanctuary for me. To make this about as easy as I can, that word sanctuary would be Basically, I am looking, this is a sanctuary right here. It's a designated place where God's people come to worship Him. Okay, a sanctuary. Make a designated place where God's people could gather and worship God. He says, so I need a sanctuary because he says what? So I can dwell among them. And verse 9 says, make this tabernacle. Now, you could circle that word tabernacle. And all the furnishings exactly like the pattern, circle that word pattern, that I show you. And this is what we're going to look at is that pattern that they had, I believe, is a way that we could still pray today. Again, we understand that Jesus came and fulfilled the law of everything. We don't make sacrifices anymore. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. But there's a pattern to the prayer. This, this temple, this uh, tabernacle was a pattern to the presence of God. And we're going to look at this pattern. Now, again, let me stop here for a second because it could get kind of confusing. You, you see in the Bible, you hear the tabernacle, you hear the temple, and you're like, well, what's all the difference? That a tabernacle was, again, told to build in the desert when they were going around. It was something that was not a permanent location. It was something that, it was the, the worship place that could be taken down and moved as they moving across the desert. The temple was the permanent building that once they made it to the promised land, when they weren't wandering anymore, they would uh, build the temple out of brick or whatever. That was a permanent thing. So, uh, who we got? Matthew, go ahead and put the temple. This is just, again... This is a replica of the tabernacle. Uh, I checked with Moses. None of them had their phones at the time to take a picture of it. So we had to go online today uh, and get pictures of replicas. So everything you see today is not, oh, that was it. This is just an artist's interpretation of what these things would look like. But this was the, the tabernacle. It wasn't a permanent structure. You see, it had the tents on the side, the different things, and we'll go through all this. A tent in the meeting. Okay. Whoa. We're, we're running out of time. This was called the outer courts in here, where you had the gates. You'd come in here, the brazen, uh, brazen altar, the brazen laver. Then this tent in the middle held two things. It was the holy place, and then in the very back it had the holy of holies in it, where the Ark of the Covenant was with God. And, and they had several items in, in the uh, holy place that everyone was a step to get closer to God. And the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, they had the Ark with the angel, cherubim over with the mercy seat in the middle, and the uh, high priest would go in once a year. He was only allowed once a year 
to go in and on the mercy seat he would sprinkle the blood for the forgiveness of sins. It's even said that that high priest, they would tie a rope around him as he would go into the curtain and into that holy of holies places in case he messed up somewhere or he had any kind of hidden sin that if he would die, the only way they could get him out was to drag him back out because if anyone else went in the presence of God, it would kill them because they went with sin in their life. Oh, help me, Lord. Am I going too fast? Is it kind of, okay. Let's continue down this. So that's the pattern. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. This is what we want you to understand. Do you not know, okay, that your bodies, he's talking New Testament now, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Who lives where? In you. Whom you have received from God. So he says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Jesus Christ died for you. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So we understand that in the new, now that you're born again, the God's spirit lives in you. Okay, this is a sanctuary where we all come and meet together and worship. But you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? In the old days, that tabernacle, and then when they built the temple... God used to dwell because people were unsaved. Jesus had not gone to the cross. God's presence, Holy Spirit, couldn't live in a sinful person without sin being paid for. So what, what the Old Testament, the temple and the tabernacle was a place. God dwelt in buildings then. You could say it that way. He dwelt in buildings and he wrote his laws, his commands on the tablets. Right? The Ten Commandments that Moses carried out. In the Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant, one of the things that was in it was the um, Ten Commandments. Another thing that was in it was the uh, manna that they had picked up, that God showed provision from God. And the third thing in it is the uh, uh, staff of Aaron that had budded uh, (coughs) things. And Again, we're we're not going into an in-depth thing of this, but this is what I want you to understand. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in buildings. Okay, he, they had to build this tabernacle so he can meet with the people. But today, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. But the, there's still the pattern. Okay? There's the pattern that we have to translate from there to our lives now. Okay? Let, let's just start with this. You need to be born again today. Right? How are you born again? Through Jesus Christ dying on the cross. You see, back then, sin was paid for. Again, it just covered sin. It didn't wash it away. It was a temporary state. But they would have to kill animals. Animals be sacrificed. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And what did God do? Killed an animal to clothe them with a skin. You see, because of their sin, something had to die. Oh, Lord, help me. So I want you want to just look quickly. Um, Exodus chapter 33, verses 9 through 11. Now, this is not the tabernacle, but I'm just still laying out how God wants to meet with us. Things, But, but as, they were, as they were going through the desert, at times, Moses, God would still want to speak to Moses, but they wouldn't set up the whole big 
tabernacle thing. So it was called the tent of the meeting that Moses would set up uh, outside the camp of where everyone else would meet. Uh, and it says this, uh, Exodus 33, 9 and 11. As Moses went into the tent, the tent of the meeting, the pillar of the cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. See, God wants to speak to us. God wants to have conversations with us. He says, whenever the people saw, all the Israelites saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and what? Worshipped each at the entrance to their own tent. Now, this is what I want you to understand. They were worshiping God, but they had to worship from a distance. You hear me? They had to worship from a distance. But now, as a New Testament believer, God's Spirit is right there with us. He's living in us. Amen? So it says, The Lord would speak face to face with Moses as one speaks to a friend. And again, as we get ready to look into uh, the pattern in, in the tabernacle, I want you to understand Matthew five seventeen, where Jesus says, Don't think I have come to abolish the law. Uh, or the prophets, but I have uh, come. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So you see, and when we're going to look at the sacrifices that were being given there, Jesus was the last sacrifice that needed to be made. It was covered. Okay, but I want you to understand as we, as we go through this. I, I'm going to go through this quick, but uh, I, I need you to understand that the pattern is steps for us today that we go through, and and. Uh, Matthew, go ahead and put up the one of the covenant with the Spirit of God there. I want you to just uh, show this. Is that second in I hope you could see it good. But this is the tabernacle when it would be set up and the, the uh, uh, pillar of fire at night uh, for God was there. But you see all the tents on the outside? You know, sometimes we forget that there were millions of people in this caravan going across the desert. And so the landscape would be filled with people. And when Moses would have the tent of the meeting, again, this wasn't there. The tabernacle wasn't there. But he would go outside away from the people because the people had to worship God from a distance because of their sin. Okay? Am I confusing anybody? Okay. I'm trying, not, I'm trying to cover as much as I can, but as quickly as I can. Uh, so, so we're not here all night. Amen. So the, this pattern, uh, number one, we'll, we'll go with the steps for us that we, that we could continue to do, how, how we could kind of translate to our prayer life for all kinds of prayers. Number one was the outer court, which I talked about a, a few minutes ago. And this is where we give God thanks. You give God thanks in your prayer life. I want you to understand that what I'm talking about here, all seven things, it doesn't mean you, you could use this as a, in your quiet time going through all seven things, but where it says pray uh, in all kinds of prayers, these are different prayers you could pray throughout the day. You could take them in, in uh, things like that. So the outer court, <coughs> again, the entrance where you come in, and not, not including the big tent there, was the outer courts. This is where you give God thanks. You give him praise. Okay? So let's look at uh, Psalms 100, verse 4 and 5. 
Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever and his faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You see, he's still faithful. He's he's still that. And we are to praise his name. Now what praise is is thanking him for what he's already done. Think about this. Enter his courts with thanks. How many of you appreciate when your children don't appreciate what you do for them? It's like the only thing they could do is why they complain about everything. Why, why, why can't I have this? Why can't I do that? Why can't, why can't? But yet they never take the time to thank, thank you for providing a roof over my head last night. That I didn't sleep on the bridge. That I have a home. Let me ask you this. How many of us woke up today and said, God, I want to thank you for my health. Can I say this? If you were suffering with a disease, I'm sure you would have woke up this morning and told him about that. Right? Too many times our prayer life to God is like a complaint department. Boy, got quiet there. We, we call out to God and all we let him know is what he, what's wrong in our life and what he should be doing in our life that he's not. And we forget to thank him for all he's done. You see, the, the, Satan wants you to focus on all the negative. And you forget about all he's already done. And that's the first step. That Here's one way we could pray. Here's one type of prayer. is a prayer of thanks. Trigger your car door when you get, open your car door and say, God, I just want to thank you that you've provided me with this vehicle that I have a vehicle that's trustworthy, that I could get back and forth, that I could come and worship in the house of God. I want to thank you for that. Secondly, let's get going here. You'd, you'd, you'd find the brazen altar or the bronze altar. And if you, uh, Nathaniel, well, I don't know why I want to call you Matthew today. Uh, Nathaniel today. <laughs> it's Matthew. This was... There, in the beginning, you come through the gates, and this was the, uh, the altar where it's hard to see, but inside is, is, there's coals and things, and it would be the, can I put it this way? When you got there, it was really a bloody mess. Animals would be sacrificed, killed, and the meat thrown in this thing and burned and scorched and things it didn't smell too good it wasn't it didn't smell like fourth of july barbecue okay uh, i don't want you to think that but uh put up the original picture of the uh, tabernacle this is just a close-up of it so you'd come through the gates with thanksgiving then this right here would be the altar where sacrifice was done and so how we translate that into our port you see God's presence is over here in the back in the Holy of Holies. We come first, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And how do we get to God today? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So my prayer needs to be that I am going to, one prayer is that I focus on the cross. Focus on the cross. 
what God's done through Jesus Christ. That because again, for you something for you to get into the presence of God with sin in your life, something has to die. The wages of sin is death, and, and that's what that represented. Sacrifices. Look what it says in Romans five six through nine. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, while we were still powerless, let me kind of tie this into what happens today. We are powerless to change anything. Only God could change things. Only God could change a person's heart. You see, that, that's where we have to realize where our power comes from, through Jesus Christ and through our prayer life. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. Again, to have fellowship with us. And this is what he's willing to pay. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath uh, through him? Third thing you come to is the bronze laver or the laver. Okay, and uh, that's a kind of an image of it. And what it was, it was filled with water. But it was some sort of, po- it was polished where it could show a reflection. Okay, and this is what I want you to, you to focus on today. So the laver in your, in your blank part you could put uh, is where I offer every part of my life to God. Okay, put that down. Offer every part of my life to God. Again, here was, here was the laver. This one here. So you come in through the gates, the altar, and the laver, all in the outer courts. Now the laver was used to clean. They, they washed themselves with, with the water. How many of you know we're washing with the water, with the word and things, and, and washing clean? And notice what it says, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer... Whose bodies? Our bodies. As a what? What kind of sacrifice? Living sacrifice. You see, when God says take up your cross daily, he doesn't want you to go die on a cross. He wants you to be a living sacrifice that I'm going to offer my body to him. And and it's even kind of weird. I'm going to offer my body to him, but yet the word tells me if I'm born again, I'm no longer my own. So I'm offering to him what's already there. You see, that's what happens with a lot of Christians. You become born again, but you still want to lead your own life. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Okay? This is true and proper worship. So it says, verse 2, So do not conform to the what kind of pattern? Pattern of this world. See, we need to follow God's pattern, the pattern of this world, but be transformed or changed or washed. Wash your mind but with the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, 
pleasing, and perfect will. We need to know what God's will is and begin to pray for His will, not just ours. That's why we need to humble ourselves and let God move in this. And so what we, we, we realize, as we see a reflection in different things, what we have to understand is we have to watch what we put before our eyes. Okay, our senses, there's a lot of taking in, and there's some going out, but watch what you, be careful what you let your eyes see. Because if you keep watching something, it'll begin to control your thoughts. Right? Actually, any of those news junkies right now? I can't can't stop watching. I can't stop watching. I can't stop listening. We have to watch what we put in our ears and our eyes. We have to guard what we allow in there. Because it's going to transform the way you think we need to wash and we need to offer our eyes to god i'm going to put my eyes on only the things of you god i need to uh wash my ears clean my ears that i'm only going to hear the things of you how about our mouths god i'm gonna i'm gonna only speak what you want spoken i'm only gonna pray the things you want prayed for let's move on the fourth thing is where you get into the holy place which is the smaller tent inside <clears throat> and here uh, is where you find the candlestick or the lampstand it's called different things uh, we got candlestick on your paper this is where you welcome the work of the holy spirit in your life you enter into the smaller tent you're getting closer to god and is where you welcome the holy spirit into your life now the candlestick had a flame on it, okay, uh, there you go. Now, the priest's job was to make sure that the flames would not go out. And when we talk about in the New Testament about the fire and the flame of God, we're talking about the Holy Spirit is mostly referred to. And if we're not careful, if we don't stay in constant communication with God, constant conversation with God, our flame could go out. I would, I'd be willing to bet that everyone in here knows someone who has at one time in their life was on fire for God. And it almost blows your mind of, of how far away from God they are now. You know why? Because the fire went out. The flame went out. No, notice what it says here in 2 Timothy uh, one six through seven for this reason i remind you he's talking to uh, timothy paul's talking to, to fan into flame in other words keep it lit the gift of god and i want you to understand every one of you god created you with special gifts and talents okay that we need to fan in the flame the purpose that god created us for which is uh which is in you through the laying on of hands for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Can I tell you another scripture? And I put it down for safe, uh, paper, uh, space on the paper. The Bible says that it's God's Spirit working inside of you to make you will and act according to whose purpose? His purpose, not ours. You see, that's why we have to humble ourselves and come to the point in this life to realize this world ain't all about me. This world ain't all about you. 
God cares about you, loves you, but there are bigger things at stake than just your life. There's more important things in life than salt and meat on seal. We all love salt and meat on seal. I'm all for that. But there are bigger things. So let's move quickly. Next thing. Number five is the table of showbread, or is also called the, the bread of the presence. <coughs> okay, if you'd uh, put the image of that up, this is where we claim to the promises of God. One of the priest's duties in there was to make sure there was fresh bread on this table, that it wasn't old, it wasn't stale, it didn't start to mold. And how many of you know what, what the bread represents to a New, uh, New Testament believer? The Word of God. Can we translate to keep the word fresh in you? See, that, that's part of what goes on right now. When we come worship, it's one way to keep a fresh word inside of you. It's a way to fan a flame. That's why we need to encourage everyone to be in the house of God. But we have to understand that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? This building isn't, isn't the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is a sanctuary where a whole bunch of temples come together and worship. That the one true living God. So it is keeping it fresh. Think about what Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written. This is when he was coming up to temptation. Satan was tempting him. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Can I tell you it's important to get God's word inside of you? It's important to read God's word each and every day, get his word inside of you. Notice what uh, Ephesians 6.10 says, kind of what we read a little bit earlier. This is where we claim the promises of God. How can you claim a promise of God over your life if you don't know what the promise is? Think about that. I always think back to, you know, God, before I was born, Jesus Christ died on the cross. God wanted me saved from before I was born. But I was in my 20s before I even knew I needed to be saved. Right? Ignorance of God's word falls on us. Not knowing God's word falls on us. The Bible tells us to study to show yourself approved. That is up to us to get God's word in you. That is up to yourself. So again, Ephesians 6.10 says, uh, again, each one of these is steps that you could pray, different type prayers that you focus on these things. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit work in your life. I, I know I'm going quick, but that it's the Holy Spirit that works us and changes. So if you could pray, God, I, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, that whatever maybe would be blind in my eyes that needs to be changed, that you'd work that out of me. God, I want you to remove everything in my life that is not of you, that you would not want in my life. And I want you to place the things in my life that you want in my life. You see, I have to, I have to pray that and tell him and ask him to do that because he's not going to come against your will. You have to surrender your will to him. Again, I, I know I'm going fast, and, but we're too far into this to stop now. Ephesians 6.10, again, the table of the showbread, uh, claiming the promises of God. Finally, be strong 
in the Lord, which we read earlier, and in his mighty power. And that's only through prayer. Then verse 17 tells us this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. That's how we fight. Again, it was talking about that we battle not against flesh and blood. We fight with the promises of God. When the, Satan came against Christ, what did Christ do? He set an example for us. He, didn't, he could have you know, done whatever he wanted, but instead he chose to show us the pattern that we should follow and say it is written, that we know what the Word of God says, the promise of God. That's how he defeated the enemy. By speaking God's word, he says, uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, and listen to this in 18. And pray in the spirit, which we were talking about earlier, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, what we're going through here, and request. With this in mind, be alert and sometimes keep on praying. No, always keep praying. Uh, for the Lord, all the Lord's people. Notice how he's saying, it's not just praying for you and your situation, but all believers. Let, let's go on to the, uh, number six here. <coughs> the altar of incense. Right before you reach the Holy of Holies, there was the altar of incense, which represents worshiping him. That's what we're going to say, to worship him. Our worship is a a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Psalms 95, 6 and 7 says this, Come let us bow down in worship. And, And when I'm reading this, I could just see the wise men before baby Jesus again. How does it? He says, come down, let us worship. Let us kneel down before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And again, what we're talking about worshiping him is for who he is, not for what he done. We praise him for what he's done. We worship him for who he is. Right? When the wise men kneeled before the baby Jesus, they worshiped him. He hadn't done anything. They worshipped him, it says, for who he was. Because they knew who he was. What did Jesus say when the disciples asked Jesus, uh, hey, teach us how to pray? What is one of the first things he said? Hallowed be thy name. You remember who God is, what he does. We worship him for who he is. We praise him for what he's done. Let's... Go to the last one, number seven. This is where the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, is the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where we, we our things, is where we intercede for others. <coughs> where we, in it, we pray for others. And that's the example set by Jesus. But again, earlier I told you that only once a year would the high priest go in Sprinkle the blood for the forgiveness of sins. Now Jesus, when he died, he was the last sacrifice. And they had a very thick curtain that people couldn't go through because you couldn't be in the presence of God. God dwelt between the cherubim on the, on the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, can you put the Ark of the Covenant up there, Matthew? That's what it kind of, uh, again, artist interpretation right now. 
And inside, that was the manna that they collected, the uh, tablets of uh, Ten Commandments and Aaron's uh, rod that had budded. And the two cherubim on top is where the, between the two is the mercy seat, and that's where God's presence would dwell. And that's where they would, the, the high priest would once a year go in there and sprinkle the blood for the forgiveness of, of the sins of the people. Now, listen to what it says. Again, that, that curtain. Jesus, uh, on Mark 15, 37 and 38, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, and it says the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The curtain it's talking about is in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God is, from men. Now, I want you to notice, how was it torn? From top to bottom. Why would he put that detail in? Because you need to know it's God that did the ripping. It's not man ripping up. It's, it's through Jesus Christ that God made a way. And that curtain was ripped. In other words, representing now all men have access to the presence of God in their life. That's why you are the uh, temple of the Holy Spirit. Before, God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the temple and in the tabernacle. But now, His presence everywhere. So, this is where we intercede for others. And why, do we, why am I getting interceding for others? What did Jesus go there for on the cross? To intercede for you. He went for you. He didn't go for Himself. He went for you. So, l- listen what it says in Hebrews 10, 19 through uh, 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the holies of holies, with the, referring back to the, where the presence of God, and how do we do it? By the blood of Jesus. Okay, the, the altar where the sacrifice was, Jesus on the cross. By a new and living way, opened us through the curtain that separated, that barrier that separated man from the presence of God, Uh, That is his own body, given of himself, Jesus. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, now we let us draw near to God. Because before they could only worship from a distance. Let us draw near to God uh, with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed laver with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for, we, for he who promised is faithful. And notice what he begins to say. Let us consider now how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, which we're doing here today, to encourage each other, to fan in the flame those, those gifts that God gave you, to give you a fresh word from the word of God, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We give them our mouth, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And we'll close with First Timothy uh, 2, 1 through 6. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for who? All people. See, our prayer life needs to be for all people. When we have our prayer meetings, I always pray for 
the Senate, the House. I pray for every leader. You know what's going to change? If they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the only way things will change. And we as believers, what is our job? We should be praying that. We, when we pray, it's the Bible tells us to pray for our leaders. Not that they get blown up by a bomb. But pray again that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's where it would change. Because their hearts need to change. And only the Holy Spirit could do that. So let's begin in verse 1 again, 2 Timothy 2, uh, 1 through 6. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, not just the people you like. You hear me? For all people, verse 2 says, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peacefully, peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, I want you to catch verse 3. What verse 1 and 2 tells us, he says, This is good and pleases God our Savior. That's what pleases God. And then it goes on to say, verse 4, God who wants all people to be saved. And come to the knowledge of truth. See, that's what's important to God. Not if the saints win or lose today. If they win, we'll be happy. We may be sad, but it's just that roller coaster ride. It's just a circumstance in life, a bump in a road. But salvation is what's important. What we need to focus on. Verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. There has now been, uh, this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. So I want you to take what we talked about here, and I hope I explained it good enough. And well, I thought it was a short time. I noticed it's 19 after. <laughs> that these could be types of prayer you pray. When you get there, you know, you take each category and you, you could put them all together or you could take them one at a time, you know, praising God when, when triggers set yourself up triggers in your life. Tell yourself every time I'm going to open that car door, whether I'm getting in or getting out, I'm going to say a three, four second prayer, whatever it is, but I'm going to pray about something. Whether you're going to the mailbox, at a stoplight. How about this? Every time, you, have, you want me to almost guarantee you're never going to get a red light again? Set this up in your life. Every time I hit a red light, I'm going to pray for that person over there. The devil's going to make sure every light's green because he don't want you praying for people. <laughs> you're going to go, be going through, you'll be driving, man, I can't catch a red light to save my life. I'm trying to pray for people. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as we just close in prayer. But the most important thing you have to understand is that God's the only one that could bring change. But we have to pray. We have to invite him into every situation through conversations with him. Father, I just come to you right now. I thank you for each and every person that's uh, here today, all those that watched online. Father, as we just look through the pattern of the tabernacle, 
Father, I pray that you could help us apply these principles, these patterns to our life, Father God. We know Jesus Christ fulfilled all those things that represented the pattern in the tabernacle, but help us apply this to our prayer life, Father God. Remind us uh, the, the things we should be praying for, the things that are important, Father God, that we stay in communication with you throughout each and every day. And I just want to say right now that if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity here today. I just want you to say this simple prayer with me and everyone in here, if you don't mind repeating it, and say this from your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I admit I am in need of a Savior. I acknowledge that I fall short in many areas of my life But I believe that you love me so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I invite Christ into my heart to be Lord and Savior of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody shouts, Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Remember, hey, maybe... This is what I'm going to start doing for y'all. If you ever see me do, that's reminding you of a trigger. Are you getting your triggers done? (laughs) That's a horse, trigger.